0: Greatest privilege in my life is to have been, uh, is not to have been pastor of churches or, or uh, chaplains of universities and things like that, even dean of the chapel at Asbury, but to be the husband of this wife. And also, I want to say again how much I appreciate these brothers and my sister Dawn uh, coming uh, and putting together this little service. Some of this, uh, I think it's my basically my class that's here. <laughs> that's going to be fun. But I've got an old member of my class back there, and my, my, uh, at least one brother here. So here we go. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. I asked the Lord this morning uh, what God wanted to say, and this is the way it came out. So here we are. I'm coming to... Um, Uh, In the autumnal years of my life, Ellen too, but she's less autumnal than I am, Uh, we're coming towards the last years of our lives, and Dr. Samuel Johnson said he was the one that put together the Oxford Dictionary. Can you imagine? Uh, He was a great man of words, and he never said a uh, a better sentence than this, that one's own demise marvelously clears the mind. In other words, if you, if you know you're going to pass away, and we all are, you don't believe it yet, but you will when you're 70. Um, it marvel-ly, marvelously clears the mind. And some things that were very important when you were 29 are not important at all now. Um, some things that were, um, by the way, I'm going to call on you right before I prepare. I do the Eucharist. Is that all right? Uh, this is the scripture reading. You don't ever want to hear a preacher who doesn't read the Bible. <laughs> uh, There's some things that were very important earlier that aren't important now. Some questions that were asked early on that you don't ask anymore. And many of them that you've never gotten answers to. God who has was so intimate when you were young, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger as you grow and sometimes feels farther and farther away because of his greatness. But it's not true. It's just the other side of God, the side of God that is glory, that sometimes has to be understood by distance, otherness. We talked about that. And that's not, that's not uh, a bad thing at all. It doesn't mean that God's not here. It doesn't mean that God's not close. He's, God is just close in a different way. Um, but as, as the day approaches, Tillich called it the dying day, I love that. As the dying day approaches, uh, it's not a negative thing at all. Because it, it, it forces you To do the things that matter most. And what matters most? Always the thing that matters most is people. Put your lives in people and you'll go on living in them. Doing good continues forever. One good deed leads to another and to another and to another. Um, But you also there are things that, that you draw a line under that you say I don't want to have regrets at the end, when you lay your head down on the dying day. One thing is I want to love my wife in the way she deserves. And I am doing that every day. I want to love my friends in a way that's worthy. I don't want to miss funerals of people that I know loved me But even better than that, if you have to miss a funeral, to visit them before they're gone. I want to help my children in this time. I say my children. I'm talking about my death, not yours. But our children together. I want to do that. Um, We're living in in a terrible, terrible period of our history. I have never, since 1968, I've never seen such a negative disposition around the country. So divisive, so fatalistic, and can I say this? So hateful. Um, I think several things have have done this to us. I talked to my class about a bad eschatology the eschatology that the world is just winding down into misery, hopelessness, and that the only way we can be saved is Jesus coming on clouds descending. It's premillennialism is what it is. And it's brought the evangelical church into the darkness. There's no hope. Everything is negative. It's all going to fall apart. Antichrist is coming. In my life, I've... I've heard them holler about at least half a dozen antichrists and they weren't. Most of them were just Democrats. (laughs) They just go on and on and on about, about how miserable it is. But now with negative news, I didn't say fake news. I said negative news on both sides and add that to uh, someone in the, in the uh, white house who hasn't exactly helped us with our attitude. But those on the other side of the one in the White House have turned the country to hate toward him. My wife, this morning, we, something came on TV and we were both complaining. And Ellen said, we pray that he will succeed. I prayed for George Bush, whom I didn't vote for. I prayed Every Sunday, gird up his mind. Remember, liturgy has to be memorable, right? Gird up his mind, guard his heart, guide his steps. And I pray that President Trump will be a great president. And if you don't, on the other side, if you're on that side praying the other way, pray that there'll be peace in the new parliament that's coming. The new Congress. Um, Gerald Ford. I would die to have Gerald Ford back. Gerald Ford began his State of the Union. This was after Watergate. He began his State of the Union address with the word conciliation, peace. If I could advise the other side, work for peace and not just against someone. Why can't we be that kind of people? Why can't the church be the in-between the hate, the ones that pull us together? Why can't we? We must be. Or this church, this country hasn't been this divided since 1968. And scholars that I know, historians say, the fact is we haven't been this divided since 1861. And remember, there was a little war that started that year. The church has to be the instrument. Now, let me quote the fourth person of the Trinity. Mr. Wesley had a wonderful teaching. And he called, I I don't, I I think he got it from Calvin. Actually, most of Wesley is from Calvin. He's exactly right. He's He's a hair's breadth from the old Presbyterian. Optimistic grace. Now, in microcosm, Optimistic grace is holiness, isn't it? And the possibility of holiness that God can change us substantially, not just covering up sin, but renewing the human heart, changing human character. Do you believe that? Changing human character. I've never heard that except in our tradition, except in the Bible. God can change the human nature, the human character. Now, I say that in microcosm. What's the macrocosm? God can change a country. God can change a world. You know what Mr. Wesley believed? I just taught this last week at Virginia Union University. Wesley believed in a great world revival that would come and change the world and prepare the world for Jesus' coming. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we believed, instead of just believing the world was going to hell, that we presented to Jesus Christ as he comes in glory, that we present to him a world that's been renewed by his grace, not just by our work, but our work too. Giving God the handles, right? The handles to work with. Man. Optimistic grace in microcosm and in macrocosm. And then a life of thanks. As I've come along toward that that wonderful day when I shall see him face to face, God has reminded me that I have an obligation. That's not a bad word, by the way. That I have the joy, those two words go together, an obligation of grace to say thank you to God. To say thank you to God for my life for our life, for the people that have meant the most in, in, in my life and our life, for the goodness of God, for the, for the, the gifts of grace. I've uh, kind of brought together a few words that I say over and over and over again during the day. And I put it in the liturgy that we'll be using today, too. Hear the praise of grateful hearts. As I go through my day and my, these autumnal years, when people come to mind or times in life come to mind, I voice these words, hear the praise of a grateful heart. And you'll read that in the liturgy today. I've also um, have, I actually got this idea from the Muslims. Have you ever heard of the the 99 names of Allah? Have you ever seen the Muslims with their beads? Well, every bead represents a name of God, of of the great God of the desert, their God, God Allah, right? I thought, what a wonderful thing we can put together. I can name God, name the attributes of God and give thanks for them. And I I began to do that, and I put together this little collection. See what you think. First of all, praise to God for his glory and grace, right? The glory of God is God in himself. The grace of God is God coming out in love to us praise to God for his glory and grace for his steadfast love and faithfulness for his provision and his goodness for his goodness and his provision for his power and his providence praise to God for his glory and his grace for his omniscience and his light this will bring about confession For his omniscience and his light. For his judgment and his mercy. Thank God for his judgment. Judgment that says, this is right and this is wrong. Or you're wrong here, but let's get it right. For his judgment and his mercy. And then for his long-suffering and his discipline. Praise to God for his glory and his grace. Hear the praise of a grateful heart. In the liturgy today, and we're about to to prepare for communion, to open our hearts in the prayers of the church, you'll hear several things mentioned that we'll be giving praise for. Creation that we tend and enjoy, right? The freedom, uh, the power of love that breaks the power of the oppressor. Deliverance in the exodus of the ancient people of Israel. And then for deliverance from sin and death by Je- in Jesus Christ, the work of Christ. Hear the praise of grateful hearts. And finally, I should have given this earlier in November on All Saints Day. The presence on the other side of the table of those that have gone before. Twelve years ago when I retired from my last church, I wrote a poem called A Hymn to Life. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'll read you the last two verses because they are preparation for Eucharist. I'll read you a couple more verses. First of all, I was giving thanks to God for God himself, a hymn to God who strong yet meek, unfurls the stars, enfolds the weak, who ask our best but loved us first, and loves us still, despite our worst. A hymn to Christ, whose workers' hands carved life from death, forged rock from sand, from whose full heart rich mercies flow, each gift received, a gift we owe. And then the church. I just want to say to my class, I, I, I was born in the liberal tradition, evangelical tradition, charismatic renewal, and now broad church Methodist. A hymn to church, our waking place to early calls and signs of grace where soaring hearts learn thoughtful ways And searching minds are led to praise. Your desk is your altar. And then this one is the sweet one. A hymn to love, a song to life, the love of child, the love of wife. No sweeter gift save God alone than these whom life has named our own. A hymn to friends, life's long surprise, of open doors and widened eyes, round laughing fires of wit and art, we dance a while, then weep to part. And here they come, the saints on the other side, the Spirit's hymn, God's song between what mortals chant, what angels sing. It lifts our hearts in common bond with saints still here and saints beyond. Let thankful souls, then, go in peace. Run swiftly to a higher feast. God's joy for wine, God's light for bread. Feast long our hearts at table spread.